0: Hello, and welcome to the Medical Humanities Podcast, the official podcast of BMJ's Medical Humanities Journal. We invite you to listen in and join the conversation from global perspectives on health, medicine, and accessibility, to interviews with social justice activists, filmmakers, artists, and academics from around the world. Stay up to date with public discussions that matter to medicine and humanities, because life happens at the intersections. Hello and welcome back to the Medical Humanities Podcast. I'm Brandi Skilache, Editor-in-Chief of the Medical Humanities Journal for BMJ. Today, I'm really excited to have with me Riva Lehrer, who's going to be talking to us about her memoir. It's a book called Golem Girl, and it has so much to offer and so much to say about the disability community, but also just being human and being seen as a valuable and worthwhile uh, human being. And so, Riva, thank you so much for joining us.
1: I'm absolutely thrilled. I've become a fan of the podcast. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. So th- this book has been really um,
0: fascinating. And I think it's it's the book itself has had an interesting journey, even as you have had an interesting journey. Mm-hmm. And of course, coming out in the middle of a pandemic, it's both um Unfortunate in some ways, right, because launching a book in a pandemic is hard, but also really indicative of so many things that you talk about and the hurdles and obstacles. And so I was wondering, um, first of all, to tell us a little bit about yourself and about this book journey.
1: Well, definitely. It's been an irony sandwich. Um, <laughs> having a book come out about impairment and human fragility uh, in the middle of a pandemic is not something I would um Recommend for the faint of heart. Yes. Uh, the book took me about eight years to write. Um, originally, it was just going to be a document for my family to describe my uh, studio practice because what I really am, usually am, is a, an artist. I yes. call myself a portraitist, but really, what I am is an artist who's trying to understand embodiment through the use of portraiture. Um, I don't see myself as a traditional portrait painter at all. Mm -hmm. Um, so the way I got there is complex and completely tied in with my life as a disabled person. And as I went on and started trying to describe my work for my family, I ended up, uh, as I do in public talks, having to describe, uh, how I became, um, who I was and went to do what I do, which is to do portraits of people who deal with stigma, Mm -hmm. which is what I really focus on. So I'm trying to describe this for my family so they'll have something when I'm no longer around. And I started to do research into my family to understand some things that I'd never really thought about. Went home, interviewed some family members, thinking I was just gonna fill in some uh, details. And they started telling me stories that had me absolutely on the floor, prone, looking up at the ceiling in astonishment. And then all of a sudden it started to be a memoir.
0: Yeah.
1: So I did that. And my publisher is One World uh, Division mm-hmm. of Penguin. And they focus on social justice. Um, And they were so excited because I was the first person that I know of who was working on disability. Um, They're mostly known for uh, authors um, who are people of color, dealing with race and national origin, things like that. So they thought the book was just gonna do great guns and had a book tour planned. Mm -hmm. I was excited out of my mind. Mm -hmm. And then COVID, you know, the beginning, I'm gonna date myself, um, the beginning of Monty Python. Yeah. There's a, a giant cartoon foot that comes <laughs> down because stomp stomp stomp. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I I still have the imprint of the bunion <laughs> on my head. So that's what happened to the book, and yeah. um, it's been really hard. Yeah, and
0: yeah, I, I I completely understand. I mean. To a lesser degree. I, I launched mine uh in two thousand twenty one and similarly, oh. um yes, so I feel you so I feel you. I do, I know. It's it it's frustrating. It's actually one of the reasons why I have been doing so much uh with authors uh in this podcast for medical humanities. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know that we've had several authors on and we're going to be doing that more because these books that really grapple with art, with queer identity, with bodies, with disability, with um with coming to terms with with the self and the embodiment of, of just being alive um, are incredibly powerful, important social justice, medical humanities books. And they are, they, they, they're threatened to be lost underneath all of the sort of landslide of everything else that's going on. And so um, that's one reason why I wanted you on here today because this is a, a critical time for a book evaluating these things because now we're all living in a world where we've had to drastically reevaluate our bodies in space
1: it's been um oh gosh, fascinating and horrifying because mm-hmm. I truly thought when the pandemic hit, I thought, okay, there had been this efflorescence of disability culture right beforehand, I mean literally mm-hmm. like weeks mm-hmm. beforehand, right All of these amazing things had happened, a lot of things had come out in the New York Times that were documenting art and film and performance and just there'd been an enormous grant that came through the ford foundation that i'd been one of the recipients it really looked like the doors were finally opening Mm -hmm. so the pandemic hits and i think all right well at least we're in place because they're going to need us like we are the people who know how to handle physical catastrophe illness uh, strategizing um, how to do things when the old ways are just gone like okay we're ready yeah. and instead what I saw was this huge backlash
0: mm-hmm. so
1: first you know in the early days of the pandemic and I'm sure Alice Wong spoke to this um, they immediately told us I mean there was no pussyfooting. footing um, you're not important you're going to be low on the ladder for getting a treatment or a vaccine if and when it comes. And also you might not be able to even see your doctor. You may not mm-hmm. be able to get your normal medical equipment. Gee, sorry, but we got to take care of the healthy 30 year olds and make sure mm-hmm. they're not gonna get hurt. Right. So we're all sitting there just horrified. And for instance, I'm one of the people who fought incredibly hard here in Chicago when the vaccine started to be rolled out. Disabled people were nowhere Nowhere on the roster. Mm -hmm. Just not at all. And I started to call I mean I've been here a long time and some people know me. And I just went ballistic and I was part of the team that got the city to to change Mm -hmm. their protocol. But it's been it's been heartbreaking also I think because everyone is so terrified. Mm -hmm. The last thing they want to look at is what it means to be disabled. And I've noticed that like articles about long COVID, they kind of come and go, like they'll start to talk about it, and then they'll go away for a really long time, because nobody really wants to face the fact right. that all of a sudden we're going to have hundreds of thousands of new disabled people, and we don't know their trajectory at all.
0: No, no, and there's no, and uh, it, it's interesting, because i I actually have been following that myself, and I feel as though the very um, nature of hesitance around taking articles or writing articles or reading articles about long COVID is part of a. It's it's also well, sorry, I don't mean to be disarticulate here, but it's also part of our inability to face mortality too, because oh, exactly. um, you you yeah. don't see articles talking about the death tolls. You don't see you don't yes. people don't know about the death tolls. I actually um, had someone say to me, "Well, at least they're they're lower now." and I was like, "Have you been, <laughs> have you been watching?" <laughs> um, but you know because what because they haven't because the articles are, you know the, the, the articles that were hitting very hard all that they're not there mm-hmm. now and why not well some of it is our human resi- some of it is resilience based right at some point you you just can't live under that anymore and you can't focus on it but it, another is just we're terrified of long term consequences we're um, we live in a society of disposability you throw something away and you get a new one right. Um, we should be able to do those bodies too, right? You should just be able to go to the doctor and medicine fixes you. And now it's right back to, but it's not back to normal. And I was trying to explain to someone that, uh, death and dying, losing someone is a lot more like an amputation. Like you never, there is no normal that you go back to. And, um, and long COVID is turning out to be the same kind of thing. It's not a, well, after this extended period of time, I will be back to normal. Normal isn't there.
1: You know, the, the language of medicine um, is always, the prefix re is always in there. Yeah. Rehabilitation, mm-hmm. you know, repair, renewal, restoration. I mean, there are right. so many. And it's this this embedded fantasy that has always been there, that we have a permanent normal body and that healing is about regaining that permanent body. Mm-hmm. And it's never been true. Right, and you know I try and point out to people that we are always changing, that we mm-hmm. have this strange idea that, like there's childhood change, there's puberty, adolescence change, there's a period between ah uh, twenty four to fifty where we don't change, yeah, huh? and then all of a sudden, fifty and you know this thing called middle age where. All of a sudden we're noticing that we changed. Mm-hmm. And then the dread, the dread uh, country of being old.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And we, it's like we have these gears in the car and we just think that we're going to be in one gear for a really long time until we're forced to go to the other gear and that there's been no traveling. Right. You know, <laughs> well, like just <yeah>. <laughs> this sitting in this car in this one gear and we didn't go anywhere.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: And, you know, I'm a portraitist, and Mm -hmm. sometimes when I'm working with somebody, there will be weeks or months between sittings, and they'll come back, and I can see all the changes in just, like, mm, a couple months. Right. You know, I've painted people who were pregnant, who started working with me when they were three months pregnant and ended two weeks before birth, and (laughs) I nearly threw myself off a roof. (laughs) <laughs> like okay what do I erase now oh my god what am i work <laughs> um, worked with trans people who mm-hmm. were going you know through all kinds of transition while I'm and so this fantasy of like the permanent body you know, not to mention all my self portraits right. <laughs> I just feel like we are moments in time
0: Mm, mm-hmm. Like
1: I, my whole book is about my intersection with medical history. A yes. lot of it is about these where I collide at different mm-hmm. points with medical. And as a medical
0: as a medical historian, let me just say to my listeners, you you will do well, historian readers, <laughs> to to pick up the book. You'll be you'll be getting so much um wonderful stuff. And in, in addition to the memoir, sorry, okay, carry on. Just a little plug.
1: <laughs> no, thank you, thank you, I appreciate it. Um, and, you know, now, as you know, I work in medical humanities mm-hmm. and we are having all kinds of debates about uh, the ethics of human display, for instance, Yes. at my university. And, um, and I'm very intent on trying to um, explain my position, which is not the popular one at all. Right. Right. And it's, I think, because... I have a completely different sense of embodiment than Mm -hmm. the professors do. I mean, my reaction to human display and embodiment is to understand my body and
0: Mm -hmm. to understand
1: the bodies of the people I work with, Mm -hmm. which is very different from whether or not it um, pertains to my patient uh, or my prospective patients. Yes. And so... I see a completely different importance. There was a somewhat controversial museum
0: display of polio patients in the nude a few years ago. But it was essentially it was quite controversial, and I, I was working in museums at the time, and it was controversial among museum staff staffers as well because they thought well no this is inappropriate but the people had volunteered to have these nude photographs and they were uh full size so when you walked through the display they were the size of a regular person and you walked through them in a hall to see their their bodies displayed and it does remind me a little bit of the way your art works in the sense that it was all quite um it was it did not feel like people accused it of being a kind of uh gallery of uh, like a sideshow gallery or something. And it didn't yeah. feel that way at all. It actually felt as though these were engaged subjects who were asking you to look on and remember that the world is made up of uh, I, I, a disability scholar actually said this, and I can't recall who it was, but that the world is made up of disabled and pre-disabled people, <laughs> not disabled and able. Yeah. People.
1: I have a problem with that though. Oh, do you? Um, tell me, tell me about it. There's this thing. I don't know what it's from. I forget, but it's called the witch at the wedding. Uh And it's like, you're the foreboding, you're the witch who's here to cast the curse to, Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. you know,
1: your happiness is short-lived, you know, mortality is coming for you. I don't want to be that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not going to live my life as a threat to other people.
0: Right. (laughs) Right. You know,
1: I think that's very, very um, Mm. short-sighted language. Okay. No, that's, that's really
0: powerful. I think that's important to say, because I think some, some disabled activists use it, I think, as a way of saying, you're not so different from us. But I, I see your point, um, because there's a, it's the stick versus the carrot, isn't it? We, we want to, to explore our bodies in joy, not, right. you know, not as horror. So I, I get what you're saying, yeah.
1: I'm actually writing right now for, um, uh, there's a, I don't know if you know Michael Sapel.
0: Oh yes, I know Mike uh, personally, actually, and his uh, his wife is on the board of uh, is on our editorial board. That's right. That's
1: right. Well, I'm writing. uh, I just wrote a book chapter for Mike on this um, collection of nude scoliosis photographs they found at the Karolinska. Mm, Okay. And um, you know, as someone who has scoliosis, he wanted me to. Mm -hmm. I think he wanted a very personal reaction to like how does it feel to see this. But I ended up writing about them in the relationship uh, to both portraiture and queerness. Right, right, Um, interesting. And, you know, it just keeps reminding me that even, you know, the outside world keeps expecting disability to deliver a particular message Mm -hmm. of like, either we need help or we're so pathetic or you'll end up like this or something Mm -hmm. and I just continually find my aesthetics and my perspective so sideways to Mm -hmm. um, everything
0: (laughs) (laughs) except for people like me. I don't know. (laughs) No, I think that's, I think that that's really telling. And actually it's a great segue into another point I wanted to make about the, about the book and about your work in general. And that is your commitment to beauty and joy, which I don't think is always expressed uh, or in, in in fact isn't even encouraged to be expressed. Um, and I I don't I I'm actually I have autism which is a is a disability in in many respects. And I'm also someone who's non-binary. And so I understand how um, how much of that I was asked to hide or cover up mm-hmm. through most of my life. And so I didn't treat it with the kind of there's a there's a, a stained glass wonderment of 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 color and, and life that surrounds your artwork and also the words on the page especially as you talk about intimacy and the right of disabled people to love to have sex to have children to you know to live life at its fullest and i think that's something that makes your book Gollum girl so different from so many other um stories which are about rather than from and I wondered mm-hmm. if you wanted to say a few words about that because I do think that is one of the most critical and most beautiful aspects of the book for for me, anyway, and, and of your perspective of that sideways perspective, which I think lets the light in.
1: Well, I mean, we are people who are intensely aware of bodies. I, you know, in or body minds, and we've had to understand. So so. I've been writing about what I think disability beauty is, which I think partly answers this, Mm -hmm. which is that um, when people have been scrutinized um, most of their life, and it can be because of the way they look or the way that they uh, perform their bodies um, or yeah. I mean, perform your body covers a lot of, territory and that Mm -hmm. includes people who are queer and non-binary as well as people with impairments most of the time you have to get to know yourself at a level that i think able-bodied people generally aren't required to do whether or not Mm -hmm. they do it's not a requirement and it is for us if we're going to survive right and we do have you know this kind of double consciousness of understanding ourselves and also constantly aware of the outside world's picture, pictures of who we are. And for me, this produces this kind of super presence that I see, you know, sometimes I see in performers, too, um, who I think get there through a different route. And that's what really um, wows me. Is And it's, it's just not something that you can point to and say, there it is. I mean, it's something I see and experience and find really kind of lustrous. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes to what you're saying, because once you've gone through all that, once you get to the point of love and sex and joy and I won't say you don't take anything for granted because that starts to sound like um, survivor language. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have big feelings about that too. Um, I just think that you're just there. Like,
0: I wonder sometimes if it's that. Uh, I know I've had to learn. I've had to learn a lot about myself as you point out, um mm-hmm. I, I was late diagnosis with autism. I just thought I was just weird as heck, like you know it couldn't <laughs> i had to, you know it was very difficult for me to read people and i i it, I had Eric Garcia on we were talking about mm-hmm. in his book um and i had I had to make human beings a study so that I could interact with the world as well as I do and so everything became a performance for me every every aspect became a yeah. performance. and so I think some of it is um. Sometimes that's called embodiment. For me, it was occasionally dissociative as well, almost disembodied, but it was um, a sense of entering into and uh, a little bit like looking at your own brain, you know, as if, you, as if your eyes could look at themselves. I feel like that's kind of what it requires. And I think you're right. I think you have to be there. You, you can't, you, it's not something you can kind of go on autopilot. You have to be there and you have to be looking and you have to be listening and, and you're very present.
1: Exactly. That's yeah. that's Perfect description and and i think that that is that does something to you that does something permanent to who you are and um sometimes i think when i hear people say oh i had this terrible illness and it did all these dreadful things for my life but i i wouldn't give it i wouldn't give it up for anything like i would never if i could say that would never if i could undo it i wouldn't and I know that there's a lot of narratives around that, but I sometimes I think that part of it is this and they don't have language for it, Mm -hmm. but it's this, you know, it's a little like what art. Okay. So the thing I tell my students about being an artist or a writer is that the big thing you get out of it is a conversation with yourself that you get to know your own capabilities, limits, desires, imagination, place in the world in a way that I, I don't have access any other way. I mean, that that's a different part of my life, but it so overlaps with the self-knowledge of disability, at least for me. And, yeah. you know, I think that people who haven't experienced that mm-hmm. and then suddenly have this door fly open mm. where they know each themselves so much better and they understand their where they contact the world. Um, I can see not wanting to give that up. Um, yeah. but I, I, I do want to say something about going all the way back to the beginning of our conversation about uh, having a book in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I was very hopeful, um, and I've seen these very terrible messages mm-hmm. uh, from mainstream. Culture and mainstream medicine, right? About our lack of worth, and as a Jew,
0: <laughs> right. you
1: know, I certainly um, know the history of the useless eater rhetoric. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And here's what I am afraid of, and this is just no hyperbole at all. But when I saw the kind of triage happening, yeah, I thought, okay, you know, as things went on, I thought, okay, COVID is. Ghastly, but COVID is also the faintest brush of the wing of what's coming in terms yeah. of climate change.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And I mean, in part, COVID is a result of climate change, right? right? You know, people going into animal reservoirs that we have no business in and coming back with, um, you know, party surprises. Guess <laughs> what I'm bringing? <laughs> And uh, I am very afraid that as the world moves towards um, either real or perceived scarcity, either Mm -hmm. real or or failure-based scarcity, I can see society moving more towards a picture where um, productivity Mm -hmm. is the ultimate. um, Yes. You know, and that, I mean, especially with, and i'm sorry if anybody out there it, disagrees with me but you know i am <laughs> appalled is just so not the word but you know what's going on politically in america mm. and around the oh, world yes. with a swing towards the right and towards mm-hmm. fascism and right. those are not paradigms that are friendly to disabled people no
0: no nor nor <laughs> well yeah to all sorts of people but particularly that gets lost a lot i find i'm working on my next book talks a little bit about this. Um,
1: that it about? A, um, it,
0: it's about the trans clinic in interwar Berlin uh, as we're, oh. so it's about the rise of the Nazi party and uh, also the rise. Of, so th- it's about homosexuality and other things like trying to have rights as this fascist sort of horrible things are on the rise at the same time, and how that happens, but one of the things that um routinely surprises people is when I tell them how many disabled people were killed in the concentration camps oh we were um, the we were the yes. Yeah. Test- yeah, were absolutely. They, they were the first yeah, ones. They, they were I mean, in ruins. America,
1: it started in America. It did. It did killing off um, disabled people, mm-hmm. and then it was you know an
0: import or, or uh, and and when not killing them, at least sterilizing them, which um, right. was practiced, right. you know, w- in, with impunity. And so uh, that's well, a story that has there. gotten lost. Well, yes, that's true, so but that's a story is. that's gotten lost. And as um, and by the way, just for our listeners, in case you weren't sure, uh, so triage meaning they were trying to decide who got care in what order, and they were privileging certain kinds of lives over others because of scarcity of medical equipment. Um, and we have some articles about that in the journal if you need a just a refresher on that. But um, it, what's frightening about it is this sense that um, it's it's happening and it's happening quietly and people don't recognize it for what it is, partly because those early stories, uh, the beginnings uh, of, of what happened in before World War II or have also been forgotten. Um, the stories of how they treated disabled lives and sterilization process. Now you have them asking, you know, autistic people if they can put a do not resuscitate on their medical chart. I mean, <laughs> oh, this is, yeah, it's happening.
1: Yeah, um often I'm asked?
0: It's very difficult to look at these stories, but we need to remember them because we need to be able to recognize that some of these things are happening again, right now, all around us. And I, I agree with you, I think that, um, there's a real, we're at a, a watershed moment where I feel like we are going to lose the opportunity to make those things, to make sure those things don't happen if we don't act pretty soon. So, um, again, another reason why Golem Girl is a really powerful and important book right now um, to be read. And uh, I know it's available widely in the US. It's also available in the yes. UK. Am I right? So
1: it's a uh, paperback, hardback, ebook, and audiobook. Excellent. And so I'm
0: really excited. We are also having it reviewed. So the review will be linked as well on the journal and the blog for those of you who uh, also follow our blog and as well as the uh, print journal. So thank you so much. I know we've gone a little bit longer than I promised, but this has been an absolutely fascinating, necessary, and powerful conversation again, Riva, And um, if you haven't already checked out her work, please go to her website. She also, we will have a link on the blog to that that you can get to from this podcast and uh, check out her work. It's really amazing, absolutely beautiful artwork as well. Riva, thank you for your inspiration and for your words and for being with us today as part of the conversation.
1: Thank you. This has just been a joy.
0: Thank you for listening to the Medical Humanities Podcast. Since 2020, transcripts are available for all shows on our blog. Stay in touch by reading the journal and blog online. Just follow the links in the episode description. We are also on Twitter as medhums